Good morning, once again. Glad that you are with us. We are continuing our look at the life of David. We're going to jump forward into some things that were going on in David's life. It'll be the end of chapter 23 and starting there in a moment. You don't need to turn there for a little bit. But know this, that David is fleeing Saul because Saul is trying to kill him. And what would you do in a situation like that? What do you do when somebody has made it their purpose to cause you harm, either physically or reputationally or maybe in other different ways? I have three little stories I think are kind of cute. There was an elderly lady. She was in a parking lot, was just getting ready to pull her nice, fancy car, expensive car, into a parking space when a young guy had a red sports car and he quickly drives into that spot. And she gets out of her car, or he got out of her car, and she rolled the window down and said, Who do you think you are, Sonny? That was my place, said, I'm young and I'm fast. And he went into the mall and when he returned to his car, he found the elderly woman taking her fancy car and just backing up and ramming his little sports car back and forth over and over again. And he said, hey, lady, who do you think you are? He said, I'm old and I'm rich. <laughs> College professor answered his telephone at 3 a.m. one morning. said, this is your neighbor, Mr. Smith. Your dog's barking is keeping me awake. And the neighbor professor thanked him kindly and hung up. The next morning, Mr. Smith's phone rang at exactly 3 a.m. This is the professor next door. I'm just calling to let you know I didn't have a dog. (laughs) And maybe the one that I found the most funny was Soldier. On the battlefield, overseas fighting, receives a letter from his girlfriend that she was breaking up with him. And she asked him, said, would you please return the picture that you took with me? I need it for the bridal announcement. Well, the soldier was heartbroken. He's talking to his friends and he says, I don't know what to do. Well, somebody came up with this idea. They all took a picture of their girlfriend and put it in all pictures in the envelope and said, tell her this, for the life of me, I can't remember which picture is yours, so please remove your picture from all of these I'm sending you and return the rest to me. (laughs) I kind of like that one. All these stories have in common something that we call vengeance. When somebody gets and hurts you, the desire is in some level of a human nature to get revenge, to hurt them back. Some people have the philosophy of, I don't get mad, I get even, or paybacks are double. Many people believe that revenge is sweet, but is it really? It may seem like it for a moment, but then revenge comes back and it makes a vicious circle. God's people don't seek revenge. They don't try to take vengeance into their hands. They allow God to take care of things for them. The people of God experience something much better than revenge. They experience the blessing and justice of the Lord. In the midst of their righteousness, of their righteous behavior, they have the peace that passes understanding. 
But if there was ever some character in the Bible outside of Christ who had every reason to take revenge, take vengeance into his hands, it was probably David. We have been looking at the life of David in our Sunday morning class. I've been preaching a few lessons on David in my sermons on the last three weeks. And so I want to continue on with this, but just kind of jump ahead a little bit in the text of First Samuel and talk about David, how he we know that he was a humble man. He lived walking faithfully before God. Saul is not walking with God. In fact, God has removed the throne from him and his blessing. And it's said that God's spirit left him. Saul is obsessed with a spirit of jealousy and a determination to eliminate David. He wants to kill him and he tries. I mean, David finishes playing the lyre and Saul grabs a spear and throws it at him and it sticks in the wall. You know, David had every right, you know, by terms of self-defense to take that spear or take one of his own, grab one and throw one right back at Saul and say, dodge this. But he didn't. He fled. David is now on the run. Saul is in close pursuit. And that's where the story begins. And for some reason, I left my Bible back here. So I'll make a little word. First Samuel chapter 23 The last few verses say this in verses 25 through 29. 1 Samuel chapter 23, 25. And Saul and his men went to seek him. David was was told, and so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. When Saul heard that he had pursued after David in the wilderness, when Saul heard that he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon, Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. David was hurrying to get away from Saul, and as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the desert, where fresh waters were waterfalls, lush vegetation, and countless caves in the limestone cliffs. It would have been a great hideout for David, who was fleeing from Saul. It would have been a great hideout for his men, because... They had caves in which to live. They had water. They could see their enemy coming from being on a high place for miles around. And then we continue the story, knowing a little bit of background of where they were. And when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where, he came, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David was there in the innermost parts of the cave. Now get this. Here is Saul and his men. They're pursuing David. Now, you know, you have to realize that they didn't have a porta potty that they could take with them. They couldn't go to a rest stop along the highway. They are in a mad dash to get David. Saul sees a cave and he says, well, I'll just go in here. He just happened to choose a cave that David was in. Coincidence? Or was it something that God directed? I don't think it was a mere coincidence. I think it was something that God had planned. Because God had a plan. Because David, as we read, was in the innermost parts 
of that cave. And then we continue on with the story. And it says to us, And the men of David said to him, Here is the here is the day that the, which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Now, what are Saul's, David's men doing? They're saying, David, this is your opportunity. You take this opportunity because God's given it to you. Now, I don't know where they were getting that statement. The Lord has given your enemy into your hand. It could be like we use sometimes. That's in First Opinions, chapter 15. I don't know where they got it. But that's what they said. And so David knows his men are trained to fight an enemy. And he takes a sword. He creeps up unnoticed. Why he took a sword, I don't know. Me, I'd want a small knife, I think. But anyway... He raised the sword, cuts off his corner of Saul's robe. He did it quietly as well. And what happened after that? Well, here we get a picture of David's integrity, of how he reacted to this. Now here, remember, he's got his men coaching him saying, man, this is the Lord's given you your enemy. That's what he said he would do. So now it's your opportunity. And in verse five. Then David rose, stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And after David's heart struck him, afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut a corner off of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand out against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. Saul rose up, left the cave, and went on his way. David's heart struck him. You ever done something that had immediately after that known, "Ah, I shouldn't have done that. And you felt really, really bad about it. Your conscience, we say, is bothering you. That's what happened to David. He did that which was not right. Instead of gloating over and saying, I've done this. I got close enough to kill him. I'll show him. I'll send him this piece of garment. He became very sad. His conscience seemed innocent, but it wasn't. And so touching Saul's clothing like this was pretty much equal to touching Saul. It was considered at the time an act of contempt for the one who rode the war, rode the robe. Saul was king. This was his royal robe, and you've assaulted him by assaulting that garment. It was an expression of disdain and disrespect that David really didn't care about Saul. But it was a moment of truth for David. And his heart was aligned with God enough to know that he might not have done all the wrong that he could have done, but he'd done something wrong nonetheless. The greater wrong would have been to kill Saul. But what he did, he evaluated as still being wrong. And so as we continue on down in our text, in verses 8 through 15, here's what he does afterwards. He goes out and says, gets Saul's attention. Afterwards, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord the king. And when Saul looked at behind him, David bowed with his face down to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, now get that. He calls out, Saul looks at him, and David bows before him. That takes a lot. 
This man's trying to kill you and David bows before him. He says, my Lord, the king. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of your men who say, behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand today in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, the corner of your robe in, your, in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge you, avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom the king of Israel, and after whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord therefore judge between, be judge and give a sentence between me and you and see to it. Plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David spared him. He lets him know that I could have killed you, but I didn't because you are God's anointed. I haven't done anything wrong. I know there are people telling you that I want to kill you, but that's not true. So why are you doing it? Who am I? You know, am I a, a, after a dead? Am I a dead dog, a flea? You don't need to do this. And as soon as David had finished speaking, the text continues on. And tells us these words to Saul. Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said, David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, where I have repaid you evil. You have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you surely shall be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And after David swore this to Saul, Saul went home and David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now, that was pretty bold on Saul's part. David could have killed him. David reveals himself and says, I really don't want to kill you, Saul. You're the Lord's anointed. And then Saul turns around, recognizes all this and says, yeah, you could have killed me. But and I know the kingdom's going to be yours. So it's almost saying, let's call a ceasefire, a truce. When you come into the kingdom and you take control, spare my family. Just as you spared me. Don't kill them. David and his men, they go back in the stronghold. But later on in chapter 26, David's still on the run. Saul has heard where he is. And he's in hot pursuit with his 3,000 men. Chapter 26, then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hekilah, which is on the east of the Jessamine? Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph and with the 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakilah, which is beside the road east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness 
When he saw that Saul had come into, after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. He saw where the place where Saul laid. You know, David takes it upon himself to maybe become a little bit more assertive than this. Maybe a little bit more aggressive. Saul is still trying to kill him. After he's almost said, you know, I know the kingdom is yours. Spare my family. You know, do me that favor. Ceasefire, as many ceasefires are short-lived. Saul is still trying to preserve what is his he thinks he's entitled to. And he's pursuing David. Now they're camped out. It's late. They're asleep. And then David rose and came to the place where Saul was encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. And David said to Ahimelech and Joab's brother, Abishai, the son of Zariah, who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went into the went to the army by night. There lay Saul sleeping with him in the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head and at his head. And Abner the, and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. Here's what's going on. They sneak under the cover of darkness. Everybody's asleep. I don't know where the watchmen were, but somebody was derelict in their duty. I think the sleep was of God. Abishai's gone with him. They find Saul and Abner and all these men. Abishai has his spear ready to go. Or maybe he's going to take Saul's spear out of the ground and use it. He says, I'll only need to pin one blow. That's all it'll take. And this will all be over. And you'll be king. Again, the Lord's given your enemies into your hands. David said, no, 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 no. David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put his hand out against God's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come to die or he will go down to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now... But take now the spear that it is at his head, the jar of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep had fallen upon them from the Lord. Now, David's got Saul's spear. He's got his water jug. Two very important personal items. And he could have seen... And he could have taken Saul's life, but he wasn't going to. He trusted the Lord. Verse 13, as we continue on with the story. Then David went over to the other side and stood off far off the top of the hill with a great space between them. He's not taking any chances. Anyway, great space between them. David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, will you not answer Abner? And Abner answered, who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, are you not a man? That's an insult. I mean, he's going to rub Abner's nose in this just a little bit. Are you not a man who is like you in Israel? 
You know, you're the right-hand man to the king, Abner. Nobody's like you in all of Israel. That's the implication here. What are you doing? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord. The Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. I can just imagine, can't you? Abner starts looking around. Okay, where, where's that spear? I know it was right here last night when we led, when we laid down. Where's that water, that jug? Abner is probably getting a little bit antsy about this at this time. Saul hears David's voice, recognizes it, it text tells us in verse 17. Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, O Lord, my O Lord King, my Lord O King. And he said, Why does the Lord pursue after his servants? What have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is his men, but if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come to seek out a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son, David, for I will do you no more harm. Do no more harm to you because your life was precious in your, my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. And Saul said to David, Bless you, my son David. You will do many things, and you will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul went to his place. Saul was cut to the heart once again. He knew he was a dead man. But David spared his life. And so the story ends with them separating and going their ways. And this would prove to be the very last encounter between Saul and David. Saul would later die. David would receive the throne. But today we see two perfect opportunities for David to get his revenge upon Saul. And many would say he was fully justified because King Saul was putting him through a lot of minute misery, trying to kill him. But both times, David did not retaliate. But then it becomes to us as we seek application. How do we put into practice the practical words of what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, let me qualify that just a little bit. Because I think that there are some of us who say, want to give that, get quickly up with that water bottle and say, here, have some coal. You know, we're not doing it in a spirit of generosity and of blessing them, of being truly good. We just know that we're going to try to heap some extra coals on the fire on their head by giving them a little food, a little water. That's not what he's saying. He said, seek to be a blessing to them. If they're hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, be generous. Give him water. After all, it was Jesus who said, the Lord in Matthew chapter 5 causes his sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends his rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He tells us that we are to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. How is that? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. David was putting that into practice as he didn't take the life of Saul. And we can put it into practice by coming to grips with some things. First of all, we have to recognize that we're going to be mistreated in life. Things aren't going to go 100% of the way that we want them to. We're all sinners. None of us is always doing what's right. We have to realize that there are some people out there who want to seek our harm for one reason or another. Let you not be the reason. Let the reason come from within them. Because of, as we've talked about in our class this morning, could be out of their jealousy, out of a lack of integrity, out of their pride, out of their frustrations that they face in life. You don't have to respond in the way that they do. We must respond in the way that Jesus wants us to. We're not going to put our hand against the Lord's anointed. We're not going to take God's matters of judgment into our hands. So as we think about this, Have you ever been harmed by someone in your life? Has someone done something that has hurt you in some way? Maybe manipulated themselves at work or school in such a way to make you look worse than what they are. Has someone ever promised you something and failed to keep the promise? Has someone that you had thought was a good friend of yours turned out to be anything but a friend? Has somebody failed you when you needed them most? could be a spouse, could be a child, could be another loved one. It really hurts when it's family. It could even be a brother or sister in Christ. We're guilty as well. Tragically, many people are going to let us down in our life. Some of them are going to cause us great pain. But we should not be surprised when it comes. To some degree, we have to expect it. And then I would suggest that we anticipate that we're going to have feelings of revenge. It is only natural to feel, I'm going to get even. I'm going to do something too. But that's the temptation that we have to overcome. I think when David took the hem of the corner of Saul's robe, he was thinking something along those lines. But instead of killing Saul, he just took the corner of that robe knowing exactly what it would indicate. I have no respect for you, Saul. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Consider yourself a lucky man. The next time I get an opportunity like this, it won't be the hem of your garment. It'll be the head off of your shoulders. Maybe that was in his mind at first. But when he was done and back with his men, his heart struck him. 
His conscience bothered him. Seeking revenge sets up a cycle of evil that has no end. We have the classic feuds, don't we? We hear about the Hatfields and the McCoys in our history. We know what's going on in the Middle East, and a lot of that's just repetitive. It's circular. It just keeps going on and going on. The Israelis do something, and the Palestinians and the Arab world does something back. And then the Israelis respond, and then just a cycle over and over. A man by the name of Walter Weckler has written, I found this on a quotes page on the Internet. I think it describes those people seeking revenge as becoming their whole mission in life. He said, revenge has no more quenching effect on emotions than salt water has on thirst. No. Salt water is not going to quench your thirst. It's going to make you more thirsty. We need to anticipate these feelings of revenge. Take those feelings of revenge to the Lord. Pray about them. Ask God to help us. Give us the strength to do so. You know, one has said revenge gets you even with your enemy. But forgiveness puts you above him. We have to trust God to be the judge. We have to trust God will take his time. His wrath will be there. One of these days, God is going to right all wrongs. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We just have to let God work it out on his time. Jesus gave us the awesome challenging of loving our enemies by treating them in love and kind ways. In doing so, we'll overcome evil with good. We'll experience something far better than revenge. We'll experience the peace of God. That passes all understanding. We'll be right with God and God will bless us. God is the blessing. Relationship with him. And God has called us out of the bondage. Out of my bondage. He's called us out of the bondage of seeking revenge. So if you're subject to the invitation of Jesus today in any way. Please come to Jesus. While we stand and sing the song for your encouragement.